following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. For many people, Christmas has different connotations. For many people, Christmas is a happy time. Who finds Christmas a happy time? For some people, Christmas is an incredibly sad time, especially if you're not surrounded by family and friends or, or also if you know, you, you've gone through some trauma in life, Christmas may not be a very happy season for you. Uh, for some people, Christmas is where they've got to get together with family and friends, whether they like it or not. Family that they don't like. I, I'll never forget the day. It was, I think it was the day after Christmas. My next door neighbor, when we were living in Campbelltown, comes out. We're having a chat. He's got his big black eye. I says, what happened to you? He says, oh, my brother punched me at the Christmas table yesterday. I thought, are you kidding me? He says, oh, no, we got into an argument, as we do every Christmas. And I thought, how sad is that? How sad is that? But for most people that love Jesus, Christmas is just a wonderful occasion of celebration. And so what I want to do this morning is share with you three reasons why Jesus came. The first reason is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And it's the angel meeting with Joseph and explaining to him what was going on because Mary was pregnant. Joseph was thinking of divorcing her. But the angel came to Joseph and said, She will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the first reason that Jesus came was to save us from our sins. Now, this very comment brings a bit of a dilemma in our nation. Why is that? Because most Australians don't believe that they're sinners. That's the problem. Their problem is most Australians think that they're good people. Well, if that's the case, then that puts you at odds with God. Because God believes that every person is a sinner. Matter of fact, in Romans 3.23, the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the dilemma is this. We don't think we're sinners, but God thinks we are. So you've got to work out, well, who's right and who's wrong? Are you right and God's wrong, or is God right and you're wrong? Well, you know, the fact is this, that if I did a survey here today, I could establish that all of us are sinners. And you say, well, how can you establish that? By simply asking one question, has anyone here in their whole life never, ever told a half-truth, a lie? Is there anyone here that's never, ever, 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 ever told even a distortion of the truth? Okay. That's not one person put up their hand. Is there anyone here that has never, ever, ever taken something that doesn't belong to them, even a safety pin, even a pencil or something? Is there anyone that's never done that? Okay. Anyone? Okay, nobody's hand's gone up. So let's, we've, we've established it. We're all sinners. So we've established the fact that all of us have sinned. Now, again, you know, the problem that we face is this, is that in Australia, saying a lie is not considered a sin. It's like... Well, everybody does it, and because everybody does it, it can't be wrong. Well, what sort of logic is that? What sort of logic is that? Well, see, because we've defined sin as big things like killing people, like raping people, like murdering people, like, like that's a big thing, like breaking into a bank and holding it up. They're the sinners. 
Whereas God doesn't differentiate between a big sin or a little sin. God says, all sin is sin. All sin is sin. It's like, it's like the, um, the father that goes and, and says to the boy, and he says, says, I want you to go down into the food cabinet and where there's the big bag of potatoes, I want you to go through every potato. He says, and I want you to bring me the biggest potato and I want you to bring me the smallest potato. So the kid goes in there and he gets the biggest potato they can find, this monster thing. And then he found on this potato, this sort of almost like a pimple growing on a potato. And he snaps it off and he finds that's And he brings that down to his father. And, and the, the whole gist of the father asking him to do this is because he told a lie. The kid had told a lie. But in his mind, it was only a white lie, not a big lie. And so the dad says, go and get two potatoes for me. I want to teach you something. And so he says to the kid, when he's brought the two potatoes back, he says, did you bring me back the two potatoes? He says, yeah, I did. He says, is it the biggest potato? He says, yep. Did you find the smallest? Are you sure? He says, yeah, I found the smallest potatoes. And he says, what's in front of you? And he says, what's in front of me, dad? Is the biggest potato that I could find. What else is in front of you? What's the smallest potato that I can find? The father says, well, what are they? He says, well, I just told you. It's the biggest potato and the smallest potato. And he says, leave out the adjectives. What are they? He says, the potatoes. He says, exactly. Doesn't matter how big or how small it is. It's the same thing. And I think that that's what happens with us in sin. We kind of think that once we get down to the really small part of the scale, it ceases to be sin and it's something else. Whereas in God's mind, sin is sin. Potatoes are potatoes. And so this is what Jesus came to do. He came to save us from our sins. But we don't need a savior unless we're a sinner. And this is the bottom line in it all. Why would you need a savior if you're not a sinner? And so his Jesus comes to save the whole world and a whole bunch of people saying, I don't need saving because I'm not a sinner. But God says, we all need saving because we're all sinners. And you've got to make a decision as to what you believe. Second reason why Jesus came is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. So the second reason why Jesus came was to destroy the works of the enemy, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, the question that we need to ask are, what are the works of the devil? Can I give it to you in a nutshell this morning, what the works of the devil are? Matter of fact, I can give it to you in one word. Are you ready for it? These are the works of the devil. Rebellion. You say, what? This is, this is what caused the devil to fall from heaven. He rebelled against God. And so because of this rebellion against God, he developed a hate for God. And so in developing his hate for God, it's how can I hurt God the most? I know what I'll, how I can hurt God the most is by hurting 
what he loves. And so Bible says, for God so loved the world. God loves the world. God loves you. God loves me. You're special to God. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're special to God. I don't think we fully understand that, how, how special we are to God, how much God loves us. And so, and so this, is, this is the enemy's plan. These, these are the works of the enemy, is that I want to turn the heart of what God loves against him. And so when you open the Bible and you read Genesis, you find the first act of the devil on the planet was to get Adam and Eve to do what? To rebel against God. That was his plan. So God only asked them to do one thing. That see that tree of knowledge of good and evil? Whatever you do, don't eat of that fruit. There's only one thing I ask of you. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. There's not 10 commandments. There's not even nine. There's not even eight. There's one. (laughs) Just one. And they couldn't even keep one. And so, you know the story, they, they, they were tempted by who? By the devil. He tempted them. And the temptation was to smack God in the face. It was to hurt God. This, is, this, this was the whole motivation about it, was to hurt God. Because the Bible says this, that our love for God is demonstrated in our obedience to God. Jesus said in John 13, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, a lot of people say, I love God. But the definition of loving God is to obey him. You cannot say, I love God and not obey him. You, 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 you're not defining the way that God interprets love. The way that God interprets love is through obedience and worship of Almighty God. And that's what we are. We are people that are God lovers because we obey him and worship him. And so what the enemy does is to try to put a gap between our obedience and tries to stop us from obeying God. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. And it broke the heart of God. I, I, I don't think there are more tragic words in the whole Bible than the words uttered by God in the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? All of a sudden, There's this gap. Now God is omniscient. He knows all things. But he had to ask the question, Adam, where are you? Why? Because all of a sudden this rebellion, this disobedience had separated man from God. And that's what we're living at at the moment. And so what Jesus came to do, he came to destroy the works of the enemy. Can I just say to you how you can destroy the works of the enemy? Here it is. The way that you destroy the works of the enemy is to obey God. Whoa. You say, I'm telling you, that is one of the most profound statements that you'll ever hear. We say, oh, well, I'll destroy the works of the enemy by rebuking him. I'll destroy the works of the enemy by, by, by just calling out the name of Jesus against him. No, no, no. The way you destroy the works of the enemy is just simply obeying God. And his works are all destroyed. All of his works. Why? Because all of his works are to cause you to rebel against God like he did. So he wanted to gain as many people on his side as possible. These are the rebellious ones. And on the other side, are these are the God lovers, the obedient ones. And I've decided I'm not going on that side. Rebellious. I'm on this side. I'm on. How many of you are on my side? How many of you are on the Lord's side? How many of you can say, that's me. I'm one of those. I'm one of the God lovers. I've decided to destroy the works of the enemy by obeying God. If you're going to give a clap, give a decent one is what I can say. <laughs> okay. Why did Jesus come? He came 
to save us from our sins. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. And finally, and I'm going to finish on this one, he came to give us abundant life. In John 10.10, Jesus said of himself, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I, I just think one of the biggest furfies for us is to think that Jesus only came to give us eternal life. And we're always thinking of, oh, yeah, well, 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 we, well when we get to heaven, that's a furphy. I'm telling you, that is one of the biggest red herrings because a lot of people in their understanding, go, well, when I get old, then I'll think about it. When I get close to the grave, then I'll think about it because all it is is about having eternal life. Whereas Jesus says, no, no, yeah, yeah, it is about eternal life, but it's also about abundant life now. It's also about learning the principles of how you can really have the best life now. The best life now. It's the best life now. Jesus came for you to enjoy the best life now. And you've got to get that into your spirit that by having Jesus in your life, you don't have a deficient life, but you have an abundant life. And one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that, oh, if you become a Christian, you're going to have a, a deficient life. There's not going to be any more fun. Oh, every, everything's going to be miserable. What? That's the biggest lie ever. I tell you, we have the best fun. We have the best of everything. But you know what? We don't have to get drunk to have fun. What is that? In the world today, get hold of this. This is the goal. Oh, we've got to go out to get plastered. We've got to get out so we don't even recognize where we are or where we live. And then we have fun. What is that? Oh, what we've got to do is that we've got to learn to hug the toilet bowl and vomit into it all. Of, and, and then when we've done that, we can go back and drink some more. So we can go back and hug the toilet bowl and vomit into it so we can... What is that? How can anybody say that's got even a quarter of a brain, let alone half a brain, that that's having the best life? Oh, so you need alcohol now to... Just phase out your senses. And the police all over the nation are saying, we're an epidemic. This is a terrible thing. Matter of fact, we, if you drink and drive, we're going to put you into jail. We're going to stop you from doing that. If we could stop, what is going on here? There is a deception going on where the enemy says, oh, yeah. and then, then the other deception is, oh, yeah. How many women can you bed? And then you become, the wow, you're a party boy. Determine on how many women you bed or how many, what is, what is that? Let me tell you, there's nothing more beautiful than being faithful. There is nothing more beautiful. Here I'm celebrating 32 years and I have been 100% faithful to my wife and she's been 100% faithful to me. And, and, and we love life and there is no deficiency in any Matter of fact, I wouldn't want to be with any other woman. What is that? She's more beautiful to me than she was 32 years ago. And it's all about understanding that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly and that there is no deficiency in God, but there is all sufficiency in God. And you have to understand that and get that into your spirit. How do you have an abundant life? Well, this is very simple. I'm going to finish with this. 
Steve, you can come up. Just very simply, how to have an abundant life, number one, accept Jesus. You know, this is, there's a spiritual part of us that you can't leave out. See, we're not just physical beings, we're spiritual beings. And you've got to understand that. Robbie, you just, did you just get engaged as well? Congratulations, Robbie. Got engaged in Canberra. Robbie Ben-Hur, that's wonderful. Wow. Okay, pay attention. Let's get back to it. See, there's a spiritual part of us. And, and you're not complete if you don't understand the spiritual part of you. That spiritual part of you is what connects to God. And so what Jesus came to do is that he came to fix up that spiritual part of you. And when he can fix up what's inside, he can fix up what's outside. So you don't start with the outside and work in. You start with the inside and work out. So once he works out how to fix up your inside, then the outside gets sorted out. So that's step number one, accept Jesus. How do you accept Jesus? By simply recognizing that you've sinned, that sin has wrecked you up on the inside, that sin has separated you from God, that sin has darkened your soul, and that Jesus came to clean you up on the inside, to wash you clean. And it's a beautiful thing. We, we share these concepts with kids, you know, black heart, white heart. So here's the black heart of sin, and Jesus comes and washes us, and all of a sudden we have a white heart. We're pure on the inside. We regain our innocence on the inside. Once we've regained it, it all turns on the outside. Once you've accepted Jesus, number two is simply walk in obedience. That's it. Now that I've accepted Jesus, it's, Lord, what do you want me to do? Not what I want to do, but what do you want me to do? And it's just this discovery. It's just this understanding that obedience to God is the best way to do life. See, you can do life on your own, making your own decisions, getting it wrong half the time, getting it right half the time. But basically, no guarantees that your decision is the right one. But when you walk in obedience, can I just say to you that every decision you make in obedience to God will be the right decision. What? I can assure you that when you walk in obedience, every decision you make that conforms to the Word of God, that's according to the will of God, will be the right decision and the best decision you can ever make. I can't be more emphatic than that. I'm telling you from not only experience, but from the foundations of God's word, that to walk in obedience is the preeminent thing that God wants for us once we get saved. And then finally, accept Jesus, walk in obedience, adopt his culture. See, there's a kingdom culture, there's a godly culture that we need to adopt and the only way that you can adopt that is by getting the Bible into you. Romans chapter 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So our mind has got to have God's culture. And God's culture is a very different culture to the world's culture. God's culture is all about helping others and blessing others and being kind and loving and generous and considerate and all those beautiful positive words that stem from the kingdom of heaven. There's just something beautiful about that. Once we start just manifesting godly culture, kingdom culture, loving culture, our whole life 
transforms and we enjoy the very best life. And so here it is. You want to enjoy the best life? Accept Jesus. You want to enjoy the best life? Obey him. You want to enjoy the best life? Adopt a kingdom culture and your life will turn around. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 